microphone check. I'm in very high spirits right now. Hello, hello, once again. I always feel like I want to turn on my mic when we start this in tight. Uh, episode 154. Maybe it's the hat. Hang on. It's a clunky intro, huh? <laughs> All right, here we go. This is Around the Post Podcast with your boy Jay, Mark Figueroa, and we have so much to discuss. Um, it was my birthday yesterday. Um, if you're not listening to this on Wednesday on the dot, then maybe it was a few days ago for you listeners. But um, I'm, I'm in a good place right now. I'm feeling real good. Uh, the U.S. Open has been fantastic great match play great storylines great narratives we are a week behind schedule because yes i was out of town last week um but i am so happy to be here where do we start uh i would ask you uh how was your birthday but we have so much to cover so let's just get to wow it. unimportant <laughs> <day>. I know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's do it let's do it where do you want to start okay we're gonna start with the seeds so caroline garcia who's a top tenor uh, she's becoming a little Casper Rude, uh, Felix Aliasim type, losing to unseated players. Mm-hmm. She lost early again. She actually said that the the tour is getting to her. Who did you say? Uh, Caroline Garcia. Oh, okay. And she said that she's most likely going to take a break for a while. Uh, mm. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, burnout's a real thing, you know. So I'm very curious because she made a very thunderous run um i feel like her name kind of really just popped and blew and look i get it you know uh playing at that high of a level out of the blue like that and then having to maintain it at the same time is not easy um and between me and you i never thought of her as the person who was supposed to maintain it for year in year out month after month after month so i think a a break for her is probably in the best interest of her and her team and hopefully she can mo- moderate her schedule so that she's not playing s- nothing at all, but she's not overplaying and setting these weird expectations for herself. Yeah, she definitely just rose up, came into the top 10 with a lot of hype. Yeah. And within the past year, she's been on the downfall. So hopefully she comes back. Uh, another person that's been super struggling. And I thought that with a deep run at the City Open, she would have a little bit of uh, backing behind her, but it didn't happen, mm-hmm. was Sakari. Sakari mm. lost in the third round of the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. And then at Wimbledon, French, and at the US Open, first round losses. <sighs> she's a top tenner as well. And she's a steady, the one you're supposed to expect that from player. Right. So before I get your reaction, here's the funny part. So her and Holger Rune, I'll get to him in a little bit. Hmm. They were complaining about weed and how that affected their game and the smell of it. And she was complaining to the chair. I can't. I'm having problems breathing. I can't do this. The smell of weed is getting to me. And she pretty much said that that was the main reason why she lost. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And what do you think about her performance this year? Her performance this year has been very disappointing. I know she did uh, reach a final within the last two months where she lost. I want to say it was golf. Um, so yeah, that was the City Open. Yeah, yeah, City Open, I believe. She beat Pagula. 
Yeah, so we know that it's within her, but let's let's be real here. As people who've played sports and athletics, when you're under intense pressure, extreme stress, everything is way more annoying. It's just what it is. Um, Djokovic mentioned this in a press conference on top of that, just to reinforce my statement. But when things are really tough, when you're in the moment, when you're in the heat of battle, these things are things that you're hypersensitive to. So I fully understand where they're coming from. Everything is bothering you. Everything's taking your mind off the task at hand. I get it. You know, if the smoke in the air, if it's weed or whatever it may be, is taking away from your concentration, but it's not actually the reason you're losing. It's not. You know, it's just what it is. It's a fact. So, you know, at the end of the day, my favorite part about the game of tennis is conditions are happening to both players at the same time. Yes. So whatever's in that air that one player is breathing in, at least you know the other player is as well. And for me, that really makes it so that, okay, do these conditions suck? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. At least you're both participating within them. So I don't feel bad for them in that case. Yes, I am actually shocked with her performance this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expected a lot more I of her. But uh, my running joke is uh, stop hitting those shoulders and start hitting more forehands. <sighs> but, uh, you know, she needs to find something. There's something missing in her game right now. I think it's more confidence because... It's mental. Uh, it's mental. Meet beating Pagula at the City Open. Yeah. Uh, she has the game. It's not as if she doesn't. When mm-hmm. she makes... Uh, past the fourth round she actually has good results she elevates and that's like you said that's mental that's a confidence thing right so there's there's something missing mentally that hopefully with this break uh she could uh get back Mm -hmm. so i'm hoping that happens uh there and then um venus williams she was supposed to play badosa uh sissy dosa but badosa ended up pulling out of the tournament and she ended up playing a, a, a person that is in the top 40 or something. And she lost one and one. Hmm. And uh, people are on uh, uh, social media saying, you know what? You can't, you can't stop. You need to stop living off of your legend. Uh, you're getting destroyed here. And uh, there's other people that are more deserving of that wild card than you. What are your thoughts about those people making those comments on Venus Williams? Uh, I mean, if you want me to be really frank and honest, they're casual fans. Um, they they don't know what they're talking about. Venus Williams is not a top ten player. That's a flat. That's a flat fact. We know that she's not a top ten level player, but she is a professional level tennis athlete on the tour still. Um, she, within the last two months, has wins. Um, does she have a lot of wins? No, but. She played in the City Open or Cincinnati, one of those tournaments, and she won her first round against a seeded player. Um, that's just the bottom line. Then lost in the second round of that tournament in split sets. So she can play at that level. And let's also be, let's talk business. Do I want to bring in a nobody that no one's heard of, who's probably the same level as Venus and sells no tickets? Or am I going to bring in Venus Williams, a legacy who's given us so much to the tour and actually beat a seed in the tournament within the last two months? This is a no brainer. Venus is going to come to the U.S. Open. She's going to play. And until she truly is not performing and is not giving to the sport the way she has, I don't understand why you would put anyone else in that slot. I agree. Yeah. So 
That's nonsense. She's even, I mean, this is a little off topic, but she's providing instructional content on YouTube for those of you who are interested in learning tennis. She's putting out incremental videos on each sector of the game, how to hit a backhand, how to hit a forehand, how to hit a serve. She's documenting her journey on her comeback after she's trying to play at a high level still. You know, she's giving a lot of content to the world for free on top of the fact that she's also showing up to tournaments and integrating herself with the people. So I support everything Venus does. Yes, and uh, uh, keeping on this topic uh, for the Australian Open, uh, the wild cards are getting limited. Uh, we have a returning Naomi Osaka. Uh, mm. She's most likely going to be on a wild card. You know that. Uh, then we have uh, Wozniacki. You know she's uh, getting she, one. She uh, had a good performance against Coco Goff. Mm. Uh, she had a pretty good match against Brady. She won, obviously. She so had a she great did. run. She had a great run. You have Venus. And then you have all the Australian players mm-hmm. that obviously Australia needs to give them wild cards as well. Yeah. So it's it's very limited on who's going to get those wild cards. Mm-hmm. So so that's a good point there as well. And now the star here is going to be Cristea, uh, who made a quarterfinal, semifinal run in 2009 at the French Open and then made a quarterfinal run at the U.S. Open, she had a pretty good run. Mm-hmm. She hasn't. She's been struggling, and all of a sudden, just came out of the blue. And she's been playing well, striking the ball well. So, get, wanted to give a quick shout out to her. Uh, you you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, very surprising because let's talk that talk. She beat Rabakina. Yeah, um, that's a massive for anyone. So, didn't see it coming. Um, her journey to where she got to was mind boggling. I mean. She beat um, Rabakina, and then who she beat after that? She beat a good player after that. Um, Benchic. Yes. Benchic. Right. So those are two big boy wins, or big girl wins, excuse me. Um, but yeah, very impressive run from her. I don't know what to expect moving forward, though. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so again, first quarterfinal since the 2009 French Open. So that's that's pretty that's impressive. That's wild. Yes. So, to even have been on the tour this long. Yes, and... Uh, mentioning Rabakina real quick uh she's been struggling with a little bit of shorter issues mm-hmm. and uh a lot of people um uh, the media are saying that she pretty much lost this uh, match because her shoulder was a little off and that her uh coach should be fired for making those changes on her surf mm. but she did have a, a shoulder issue mm-hmm. are you blaming her coach for trying to fix the serve when her shoulder is a little bummed out Here's the thing. I don't know if that's the coach's fault or not. Um, You need to consult your physio or a professional advisor when it comes to things like that. Um, When you're experiencing any form of an injury, there are limitations and advice you're supposed to be getting on how you approach it. Should I play on this? Should I rest this? Should I rehab this? And you and your coach together as a team are supposed to figure that out which means you're both equally responsible for figuring out the solution there. I do know some players relinquish their their control of a lot of things like that and give it to the coach 100%. I don't know her situation. I don't know if she just does whatever the coach says. I don't know if she collaboratively works with her coach and they work together on decisions, but ultimately she's responsible in my opinion. So, you know, if she wants to be making alterations to her serve motion with a messed up soldier shoulder, that's that's kinda on her. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. 
uh, the physio could have been working on something maybe I don't know work on it to where it feels a little better tweaking it yeah at this point of the stage is a little you know doesn't uh, add up yeah but another big story that was in the end fr- of first week of the women's US Open was a uh, Sigmund versus uh, Coco Goff now Sigmund was taking her time serving mm, a lot of drama here a lot of drama and in her press conference she went to tears and she said that the crowd was bullying her and thinking that she's a cheater so she said i'm not a cheater i was just taking my time uh in the allotted time but you could see that multiple times it mm-hmm. went to zero and the umpire didn't do anything until finally on a crucial point mm-hmm. the umpire finally decided to uh warn her and she she just lost her mind mm-hmm. so um what are your thoughts on uh how she felt and why wasn't she penalized faster yeah you know what's funny this is a there's a lot of variables in this one first and foremost she was trying to squeeze water out of rock she's trying to take advantage of a situation she is exercising professional athlete wisdom which is i need to do anything it takes to get this match in a better get myself in a better position if that means taking more time between serves whether it be your server your opponent's serve if the umpire allows it do it yeah you know that's just that's athlete to athlete you want to win this match you've got nothing to lose by doing that whose fault is it really if you don't get punished for it it's the umpires right so in this situation no she wasn't cheating she was absolutely in all her rights to do what she did but she was actually breaking the rule it's just not her job to maintain these rules it's the umpires the umpire was screwing up in this match that's the facts on the flip side you are at an American tournament facing the most popular American in women's tennis right now. And you're at the U.S. Open. This is the rowdiest slam. Maybe maybe on par or worse. I don't know. Between Australian Australia. Open. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't know which one's crazier. But I will say this. Australians understand tennis better than Americans. <laughs> so Americans are going to go off on you when they don't even know why they're going off on you. Versus in Australia, they have a better understanding of rules and procedures, and they know when to be obnoxious. They know when they are being obnoxious, whether they choose to or not. Um, but in the U.S., they're going, Coco's unhappy. You seem to be a slime ball. I'm booing you. Oh, for sure. <laughs> they don't yes. care what the rules are. They don't care who's responsible. And ultimately, the crowd picked up on what she was doing before the Empire did. And they said, we'll ju- put judgment down on you for the Empire." So... I'm sorry that she got upset about it, but she was in the wrong. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She did take her time multiple times, and it just happened to where it was a crucial point of the match, but it was it was coming. Yeah, if she wants to play that villainous role or try to take advantage of a situation, there are repercussions. Yes. And that's okay. You know, some players play the villain extremely well. They get booed, and they, Medvedev, keep going. Please boo me more. I'm going to win this match anyway. You know, then there's others that cry in their press conference, you know, yes. so it varies. Exactly. So now the big, big news of uh, the middle week was uh, Ostapenko versus Iga. Mm. Iga loses. She couldn't find her forehand. Mm. As a matter of fact, she's pointing to her uh, coach asking him, what do I do? And then Mm. the coach wasn't even looking at her. And then there there were people on her team touching him. Hey, she's talking to you. And then she gives a sarcastic clap, thumbs up. As a matter of fact, the ESPN analysts were all, he needs to get fired. 
<gasps> uh, she ended up losing the world number one ranking. She is the defending champion. And uh, Sabalenka, uh, after the U.S. Open, regardless of her uh, run, now she will be the new number one. Wow. Do you think uh, Iga's coach should be fired for not looking at her when she needed him now that coaching is allowed? <sighs> Look, this one is not as simple as it seems. Iga is in the position she is in due to the team she keeps herself surrounded by. But I can't think of any scenario where this makes a lot of sense. There's two sides to this. You know, I have coached in a competitive environment for tennis. And look, if a tennis player is looking at me and going, why is my forehand missing? I'm going to look back at them and go, you know how to hit a forehand. I'm not here to teach you on game day. You know, like, what do you want me to tell you? You know, hit your ball in. There's no educational process here. Um, But at the same time, as a coach, it can't be turn the cheek. There needs to be confidence being built, reassurance being given, uh, tips on how to clear your mind and reset. Those are the things that your coach should be doing if you have a good coach. Uh, We know that she does keep a sports psychologist with her on the tour who probably fulfills that role traditionally between matches or during her season. And maybe her coach isn't very good at that. And that's why she needs to supplement. And I think this is a little bit of evidence of that. So this is pretty crazy to me that you're at one of the biggest stages in the world of tennis. And for any reason, you're not at least fist pumping and saying, we got this. Keep going. Clear your mind. Reset. It'll come to you. Keep going. You know, problem solving you know because we know Iga knows how to hit a forehand for sure for sure so I'm a little confused by this this definitely is going to put a strain in her legacy Mm -hmm. right now it's just appearing that she's solid at the French Open yeah at the Australian Open she lost to Rabakina Mm -hmm. now she loses to Ostapenko she's struggling against big hitters Mm -hmm. on hard court Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, uh, at least the saving grace is that she did make it one round farther than what she ever has at Wimbledon. Yeah. But she's struggling on hard court. Mm-hmm. So if she wants to get that legacy going, she's going to have to get going on hard court. Yeah, you're absolutely right. She's not entering GOAT conversations. She's not even in the universe of it right now. Yes. Um, this is a little off topic and quick and short, but is Navratilova your number two GOAT? I would say so, yes. Okay, me yes. too. Just wanted to know. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, Ostapenko could not handle the heat. These past mm. couple of days, uh, there's been a lot of heat. You, you can see them putting uh, wet towels, ice towels on their heads, and they're just, uh, they're dying out there. It's yeah. humid as heck. Uh, on ash, it's, it's all the humidity is going onto the court. This has been problematic for years, and this yeah. is why there's always a different champion at the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. And now, now you know why Djokovic struggles at the U.S. Open, losing yeah. to Medvedev. Mm-hmm. So she could not handle it. She even said to her team, "I just don't want to be here." Yeah, she lost 0 and two, I believe, mm-hmm. to Coco. I was expecting a big match, especially since uh, Ostapenko beat Goff at the Australian Open. Yeah. I was expecting her, okay, this could be solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that she just couldn't handle the heat or was just Coco Goff just better? Uh, I got a few thoughts. Uh, first and foremost, I did hear that she was voicing to her coaches after the first set, I'm about to retire. I'm retiring from tennis. And I couldn't tell if she was saying she's going to retire from the match yeah. or retire from the sport. 
Uh, I'm not sure. And both of them sounded like very valid things to say in those conditions. So that was pretty funny to see. Now, two things happen. Coco Goff is dramatically better than she was at the beginning of this year. For that's sure. That's a fact. Brad She's, Gilbert has made a big difference. Huge difference. So that's a huge factor. And I would have loved for them to play each other in more favorable conditions for each player so that we could see a little bit of redemption from Coco where she can go, no, I'm actually better than you now. But let's 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 not write off and say that this was unfair. As I said earlier, when conditions are strenuous, at least we know both players are playing in those conditions. So Coco's in that same heat as you. Yes. But here's the difference. Coco is an extremely, extremely resilient tennis player. She plays an extremely full schedule, and nine times out of ten, she's playing doubles and singles in every tournament. Coco Goff's stamina and resilience is maybe the best in the WTA tour, and I'm, I don't think that's a hot take. You know, she's shown that she can play at the same level and play every day of the week. She's playing singles, doubles, singles, doubles, singles, doubles at 250 events, 500 events, 1,000 events. That's true. Slams. You know, so for her, this is an advantage. These conditions are working in her favor because she's going, I'm built for this. I can handle extreme temperature. I'm from Florida. I'm from the States. And I can play pro matches back to back every day. What do you do? You know, so I think that this is one of those opportunities for Coco to really step up to the plate and go, I bet I'll outlast you even if we're playing at the same level. So, yeah, Coco's really, this is her chance. If there's ever a slam that she should win, it's this one and this heat and these conditions. But to close out my thoughts on this, these conditions are ridiculous because a lot of players of all ilks and backgrounds are complaining about these conditions. For sure. So stamina and resilience to heat specifically are going to be a very big deal on who's going to win this slam. Yes, I agree. Um, although the new number one has something to say about that, but Coco's looking good for sure. Yeah. Now to give you some stats, um, Sabalenka has made it to five conse- consecutive uh, quarterfinals and Grand Slams. She is the first person since, sorry, the first woman since Serena in 2016 to make all uh, all quarterfinals in one year at the majors. Uh-oh. And... She's made at least semifinal or better on all the majors this year. Hmm. What are your thoughts on those stats by the new world number one? Look, Sabalenka got that dog in her. Um, Sabalenka hits violent. Sabalenka wants it badly. And Sabalenka is here for Iga's spot. She wants it. She's here to take it. It's going to be up to Iga, and this is this is an opportunity for Iga, legacy-wise. Exactly. What are you going to do about it? You got the rival. Every great legend needs a rival. That's what creates your narrative and your story. Now you have a formidable one who's building up statistics that are being compared to other goats. Are you going to be superior? Are you going to be the victor? Are you going to outplay this player? Let's find out. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens next. And what I'm really loving is right as we start to really build up this storyline and narrative, players like Coco Goff, which we've said it's not if, it's when, is starting to finally figure it out. She's bringing the right people in, which we've been saying for a year and a half. Yes. Bring in the right people and fix the little things. You're young enough. You're solid enough. She's a threat. Oh, for sure. You know, so if she can make her game 100% complete, 
she's my favorite player on the tour. Not to watch, but to win. Uh, Brad Gilbert's a tacticianer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets the job done. He breaks the game plan down. Mm-hmm. He's the right person for sure. Yeah. So uh, that that's a quality of person to bring in for sure. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to get to the men. Before uh, mentioning all these players whining about more weed, we're going to talk about Stanimal. Yes. Now, Stanimal had a very impressive... Uh, Sorry, not the Sanimal. Dominic Team. I apologize. Okay, let's start there. Yeah, I love Domin- Dominic Team too. Dominic Team has not won a Grand Slam match since 2021. Hmm. He beat Bublik in the first round. And Bublik had some very interesting comments to make. I heard them. Go ahead. So he says, I am tired of giving the careers back to cripples in quotation he didn't see he i'm putting in quotations mm. but he's like cripples mm. i'm tired of giving them their careers back and i'm just really upset right now mm. what are your thoughts first of all what are your thoughts on his comment about dominic team and that cripple comment it's hilarious um he was definitely in his feelings and look this is a very interesting dynamic here because look Bublik is coming off of playing the best tennis of his life on the tour. Bublik had a great last two months. He was playing out of his mind on the grass. And I feel a little sad for him that he thought, I know that part of the reason he's so upset is he was riding that mental momentum and expected more from himself and dropped straight sets to Dominic team. But is this a knock on... Don, um, on Bublik, or is this compliments of the level of Dominic Team? That's my next question. I'm thinking it's the uh, the level of Dominic Team. I been, agree. He's been playing a lot of tournaments as well. Yeah, he's been he's trying to get his game back. So it's not just Bublik just uh, coming down. It's also him rising his game. Yeah. To get the quote exactly, he says, "I'm freaking sick of getting all these disabled people's back in their career." That yeah. was his exact quote. So now we're going to talk about Holger Runa. Hold on. Before we leave that, okay. I do want to just add this little bit of details. The two cripples he's talking about is Gail Monfie. Yes. Who's a freak athlete genetically and physically and at any point in time is a threat to any player on the tour. Then the next person is a Grand Slam champion who's been grinding it out on this tour and is a freak as well. Bublik, you should not be upset with yourself. You should mentally reset, clear your mind, and prepare for the next event. Keep in mind, Dominic Team, his very next match, went to tiebreak with a stomach flu against yes. the guy who's currently in the quarters. Right. You lost to a good version of Dominic Team. You're good. Don't be upset. Get out your feelings. The end. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, he shouldn't have said what he said, but yeah, he should have uh, uh, phrased it a little better. But yeah, yeah. The, the two people that he's talking about are solid. Especially Gael Monfils, who has a resurgence in his career right now. Yeah. These are both arguably, possibly Hall of Famers in 10 years? Yeah. Possibly. So, yeah, yeah, I I don't know. Now we're going to get to Holger Runa. He was upset as the number four seed as well because of the smell of weed. He was saying, you know what? Two things, as a matter of fact. First, he was on the outer court. And he was all, I'm the number four seed. How am I on this court? Then he smelled weed. Mm. So he's all, I can't do this. What are your thoughts on Holger Runa? Holger, I have newfound love for you. So I'm going to be very kind about this, okay? 
I'm going to be positive here. If, if you are the new big three, you need to get over these excuses. I don't care what's in the air. If your opponent is smelling it as well, beat them. The end of that. Now, you being on the outskirts on a far court, you're probably playing a nobody and you're not the most known player at the U.S. Open. Build up your name, win more matches, develop a reputation and a fan base. You still, although you have had success as of late, you are not a star yet. You're, you don't have more fans than Ben Shelton. You don't have more fans than Francis Tiafo. You don't have more fans than any American tennis player that made it to the... You don't have more fans than Tommy Paul. You don't at the U.S. Open. With that being said, you're probably not going to get put on a big court. And that's okay. It's going to come. You just have to be resilient, successful, and consistent. If you're still crying about weed smoke in the air, you're not going to make it. You're just not. Yannick Sinner's not crying about that. Alcaraz is probably smiling while he smells it. And you're crying <laughs> about it. And that's going to separate you from them. So I think that this is another one of those you're frustrated because you're losing things. And it's not as big of a deal as he made it sound at the moment. And he's probably over it by now. Yes. But, you know, I really hope that he can just focus on being a consistent high-level player. Because it's that time for him now. It's time to step up to the plate and not get left behind. So we'll see. Mr. I'm in the new big three. I need you to show me that. This was a really big opportunity for him. And he didn't do it. Yannick Center did it. Yannick Center went deep. Yes. You know, what are you doing? Now, uh, to finish this uh, weed statement off, we have uh, Alexander Zverev who made a funny comment. So Mm -hmm. he was on court 17 and he says, it smelled like Snoop Dogg's living room out here. He said, "Oh my god! Oh my god! It's everywhere. The whole court smells like weed." Zverev said that. Zverev said that. And guess how far he went in the tournament after having humor about it. Yes, I love that. Good for Zverev. Look, yeah. should it be managed? Should they be smelling that? No, they should not be smelling that. It should be managed. Yes, but the fact of the matter is, you're in New York, baby. Mm-hmm. You know, which means you are in a different environment. Figure it out. Get over the conditions and take yourself to that next level. That's yes. just what it's got to be. Exactly. So now after losing, Holger Runa fired Patrick Martagaliu as his coach. Wow. What are your thoughts on that? Emotional. That's an emotional response. I think that Holger Runa was calling himself the new big three and it was a joke to us. He partnered with Martagaliu. He ascended and we weren't laughing anymore. So this is a little surprising to me. Unless he's about to hire Goron next week, I don't think this was a good call. So I'm curious. I'm curious. I do know that there are a lot of the young athletes, the the sub-22, younger than 22, have this big trend of hire them and fire them. Let me get what I can out of you and move on. Let me get what I can out of you and move on. And they do that. But let's talk about the most successful tennis players in history and how many coaches they traded out. There's a pattern, you know, so I hope that this was just an emotional rumor and not a long term fact. We'll find out. His mom, uh, uh, Holger Runa's mom made a statement saying it just didn't work. It's important that Holger finds a subtle team and decides and he decided he won't be working with Patrick. Mm. So that was the statement. Now, uh, 
the seeds that were in Djokovic's draw that fell out. Holger Rune, Casper Ruud, Stefano Sissipas. Those were all the seeds that were in his uh, uh, quarter. Those are all his sons anyway. And they fell within the third round. <sighs> what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, none of them were stopping him at the U.S. Open anyway. He owns most of them. So I think that Djokovic, is, uh, his, his journey to the final, I'm not going to say that he was handed to him. I think that those guys had no chance against him anyway. So I'm, I'm kind of laughing at how quickly some of them dropped out. And, I mean, we're going to probably talk about it in a moment, but the people who did show up in his side of the bracket are the people that we thought would show up, possibly. Yes, for sure. Now, I, normally I would go, okay, it was set up for him all day, having these seeds there hmm. that you know are not going to make it far. Hmm. But if you want to be fair, um, uh, Djokovic had to face uh, the ace leader, um, the big guy, uh, Herkoc. At mm-hmm. Wimbledon, then he faced Yannick Sinner, who, who he was supposed to have a war with mm-hmm. at Wimbledon, and he took care of business. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So I can't, we can't, for the first time, I can't say, hey, he got favored. Yeah, I can't say that. So going on to Stefanos, he also, after losing to a young uh, Stricker here, who's a solid player, mm-hmm. he fired Mark Philippoussis mm-hmm. as well. He actually told his dad to stay away this tournament and didn't make it far, fired Philippoussis. Now, before I ask you, I think this was ill-advised because his um, performances at the U.S. Open have been horrific Mm -hmm. since 2018. Let me just tell you, 2018, second round loss. 2019, first round loss. Mm -hmm. 2020, third round loss. 2021, third round loss. 2022, First round loss. Uh, 2000 to 23 this year. Second round loss. So since 2018, he hasn't made it past the third round. Yeah. So I think firing Philippoussis that quickly was just emotional as well. Very emotional. What are your thoughts? Look, let's be real here. The U.S. Open is a mentally draining and testing and physically demanding slam. It's the reason that the U.S. Open is the one with the most deviation from the big three in the last 20 years. Now... With all that being said, if you're a, a professional athlete that has a reputation for being easily taken out of your zone, emotional, sensitive, um, unstable in the universe of professional athletes like a CCPA, this is your least favorable event because you're going to get taken out of your zone by the crowd, by the smoke in the air, the humidity, the heat, the crowd not liking you because you're not an American. There are so many things against you. If you're not resilient enough to get through all those things or an American, this is going to be a very tough slam for you. For sure. So, yeah, CC Paw is not built for this environment. No, he's not. No. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, I just thought it was very ill-advised. But now... The humor part. Let's go to Medvedev. He's always the the showman, always the entertainer. Mm-hmm. So I believe he was in the second or third round. He called for a doctor, and uh, the on-court doctor, and he asked for the symptoms. He was all the doctor said. So what's going on? He said I lost the second set. <laughs> and then and then the, the the doctor asked him. So what is it that you're wanting? I want you to tell me how he won the sec- how he won the set. 
do whatever you did and help him win the first set. Exactly. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Medvedev's comments on, about that match? Look, he's a comedian. He's, I'm going to be honest with you. He's one of my favorite players on the tour. I think his strokes are horrendously ugly, but I adore him as an athlete and a player and his mindset. And I think that he's just a guy who loves to win. He knows how to win. And he's a comedian. You know, he's, he's got these ploys and strategies that are so Russian, you know, <laughs> like he's calls out, he calls a medical timeout. And when the guy says, what's wrong with you? He goes, I lost. He's like, well, what do you want me to do? Oh, well, what'd you do to help him? He won. You know, like these are hilarious things to me. So I'm a fan of it. I think it's very, I, I love that. It's so transparent. Yes. He's wearing his heart on his sleeve out there on the court because how many other players are running for bathroom breaks and looking to their daddy and then now saying, dad, don't come. And, you know, all these these jokey, weird things versus Medvedev's just out there being Medvedev. They give Love me or hate me. That's who I am. I'm, I'm a fan of that. I love it. Yes. And then uh, he's he did a lot more things. But the one that was uh, very interesting is uh, we know that Disney and Spectrum have a, a feud going on right now. So if you have Spectrum, you're not uh, you don't have ESPN. Mm. So you're missing out on uh, the U.S. Open and on the beginning of the football season. College football. So it, it's Drama. huge. Yeah, so I know that there's a lot of people getting sling just to see the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. But Medvedev made a comment on that. I'm just going to read it real quick. I don't know if it's illegal or not, but I can't watch the U.S. Open in my hotel. So I'm just pirating it. <laughs> I need to see the U.S. Open. I'm going to websites. I need to watch some tennis. What are your thoughts on his comment? <laughs> He's speaking for the people, okay? Understand, he speaks from the heart. I love it. I think it's hilarious. Um, I hope he doesn't get charged with anything. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's a funny guy. I'm I'm a Medvedev fan, bottom line. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that was pretty entertaining. So uh, today, uh, the Russians played each other. As uh, If you're a tennis uh, fan and you follow tennis, you do know that Rublev is the godfather to his child. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played today on uh rublev was just again similar to ostapenko he was just not having it with the weather mm-hmm. but he did make the quarterfinals this year of the australian wimbledon and the u.s open rublev that is mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that i'm i'm happy for rublev he's shown extreme consistency but i think that he is reaching a bit of a plateau and wall and he's gonna have to figure something out on how he's going to transcend that because right now his game just isn't quite enough for the the guys who can handle his ball you know there's a certain guy or a certain level of player on the tour i want to say like the top five maybe who they can handle that huge ball he hits and he kind of hits a wall and loses matches after that because he doesn't have a lot of problem solving to do on that court so I just want a little bit more from Rublev. I think he needs to call in maybe a coach temporarily to help him add a new dimension to his game. Just one more. Something that can, whether it be his serve or a certain level of spin or angles or even just sequences he adds to his repertoire. He needs to see the game from a different perspective. I agree. You know, because we know he, he what he does, he does at an extremely high level. I feel like he's very much the new Burdich. You know, 
what he does is such a high level that the average pro cannot handle it. He's better than the average pro. But the ones that are above average, that are at his level with more depth, he has a lot of trouble with, which is Alcaraz, Djokovic, Medvedev. Honestly, those are just the three. Yes. Everyone else, I think he can handle. I agree. Um, But those three in particular, they have answers to his biggest weapons. So he's got to figure something out there. Yes, for sure. You're right. He is becoming the British consistent Mm -hmm. quarter finalist, but then just can't pull through. He just can't move forward. Yeah. So here's here's an interesting story here. So in the Zverev match against Yannick Sinner, excuse me, there was a German yelling... um, let me see what he was yelling. Uh, Germany above all. Now, that was part of the anthem in 1922. But when Hitler took over, he used that and it meant something completely different. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Zverev heard it and he was all, get rid of him. He stopped and completely stopped and, and told the umpire, get rid of him. And then the umpire said, who's saying that? And the fans surrounding this person pointed at him mm-hmm. and they kicked him out the girlfriend ended up staying mm-hmm. while, while the guy was escorted out of the stadium tennis above all yes what are your thoughts on that that's pretty funny um new york's just got characters in the crowd it's so odd you know and we've been seeing this quite a bit just in the last couple of months you know the crowd just being the the B sounds on CC Pop. No, geez. You know, just these weird antics and things that the crowd feels the need to do. I think that tennis in the States is really getting popular again. And we're getting some weird people in those crowds who are used to going to other sporting events or something like that. I'm not sure what it is, but it's got to get nipped in the bud for sure. I think that the right thing happened. Good for that girlfriend for saying... I wasn't doing that. I'm staying here. These seats were expensive. Exactly. <laughs> so at least somebody got to have a good time. Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty uh, funny, uh, not funny, but it could have been. But here we're going to talk about the American men now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's the biggest story right now. Yeah. And then we'll talk about Djokovic. So uh, we have three American men that made the quarterfinals since 2005. Mm-hmm. In 2005, uh, there was it was a uh, Roddick. Blake and, and Marty Fish, uh, Ginepri, Ginepri. Oh, okay, yes. And oh, this, you're right, 2006 is not, yes, uh, Marty Fish yet. He didn't yeah. blow up yet. This, this year, of course, it was uh, Shelton playing Tiafo, and of course, uh, Fritz losing to Djokovic. He is now 0 mm-hmm. 8 against Djokovic. <sighs> but what are your thoughts on the rise of the American men's tennis? I have mixed emotions, uh, I definitely have mixed emotions. I think that men's tennis has increased in depth, but not necessarily in level. I don't think anyone in men's American tennis has shown that they have transcended what we've already been doing on the tour for the last 10 years. I haven't seen that yet, which is I don't think anyone's superior to prime John Isner, superior to prime Jack Sock, superior to um, who else do we have? I'm drawing a blank right now. Those might be our two. Yes. Um, But I just haven't seen anyone that I went, this is the future. Um, I haven't seen anyone that I went, that's a top five athlete. Haven't seen that yet. I've seen a top 10 level players. I've seen people that I'm a fan of. But, you know, just, I mean, the fact that we're still calling Jack Sock to show up to Labor Cup doubles 
two years ago is a joke. You know, the guy wasn't even on the tour. So it's a little confusing for me. Um, I think that Tiafo is, I, I don't like to be pessimistic, but I do think that he's a little bit peaked. I think he's in his peak right now. I don't think he has that extra gear. It's missing from his game that he would need to take out an Alcaraz in a final, uh, Djokovic in a final. He's going to be, in order for Tiafo to get a slam title, he's going to be relying on luck and timing and the perfect draw. Because I do think he's capable of beating pretty much everyone on the tour outside of the core major three, which is Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Djokovic. Anyone else I think he has a chance against. Yes. But you have to beat at least two of those guys to win a slam now. So, unfortunately, Ben Shelton, he's hot. He's having a huge run, and he's young. But I haven't seen that level from him yet officially. So, you know, that story will be told, and we'll be discussing his peak level of this event next week. Yes. But as of right now and today, none of these guys, to me, are superior to the best John Isner we saw. True. Uh, and I'm, I stand corrected. It was Agassi, not Roddick. Agassi, Blake, and Ginepri in 2005 that made the quarters. Really? Agassi had that war with James Blake. James Blake had oh, his little James crew. Blake, right? Yes. Yeah. He had the, it was known as the J-Block. <laughs> so that was that was that that 2005 uh, match was a war. Yeah. So it was them. So speaking of Van Shelton, oh, let's talk about the quarterfinals. So this is the first time since 1968 to feature multiple Black American men in the quarterfinals. That is a long time. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I did see a little bit of this stat where I was talking about just there is four Black african americans or something like that in the quarterfinals and i was like what there's four and then i realized that um madison keys is part black and i never knew that <laughs> so that was a wake-up call for me but uh the others were coco goff ben shelton and um who am i for tiafo so that was pretty cool that's pretty cool that's interesting but you know what's really funny on the women's side, no one really cared because Serena and Venus were the face of the WTA for 20 years. So everyone goes, black men, impressive. Black women, you're doing what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like carry the torch, you punk, you know? <laughs> so less less impressive for them because we've had Sloane Stevens, Venus Williams, Serena Williams. These women have been playing at a magnificent level for as long as I've been watching tennis. So, yeah, it is surprising because James Blake is the only black American you can think of that had a top 10 consistent career in the ATP in a long time. So, I mean, Donald Young was a bit of a misprojected athlete for American men's tennis. And Chris Eubanks has been making his very first breakthroughs just barely now. So yeah, there's a lot there's a lot to be had and discussed and figured out for black men's tennis in America throughout the next year or so. And Ben Shelton is gonna become the face of it right before Tiafo's eyes. That's true. So Tiafo's got some work to do. That's for sure. Before I get to the trash talk, uh, we're gonna talk about Ben Shelton. Uh, he is the first person since 1992 to uh, be a men's champion in the NCAA Division One. Um, and make it to the semifinals. John McEnroe did it in 1992. Wow. 
He's in good company. Yes. I and, love to hear those stats. And then he is the first the first unseated American to make it to the semifinals since Robbie Ginepri in 2005. Woo! And then he is the youngest American man to reach the U.S. Open semifinals since Michael Chang in 1992. Wow. What are your thoughts on all those stats by Ben Shelton? Uh, they're impressive. I want to ask you just this one question. Did he have an easy draw or not? Just curious. I honestly don't think he did. I don't either. I actually don't either. I actually think he wasn't the favorite in some of his matches. Yes, I agree. Um, he beat Chris Eubanks, right? I'm not sure about that. Um, I might have to look that up, but I think he beat Chris Eubanks in his route to the the semifinals. No, he didn't. You, uh, Eubanks lost to Bonzi. Oh, did he? Yes, uh, but I believe uh, um, he lost to, I mean, he beat Bonzi. Uh, Shelton. Um, well, either way, he. Uh, I think that since the second round, every single person he's played against is someone that we know and respect. Every single player. Um, I. I'll. I'll read them off to you. He took out Dominic Team, Karetsev, right, Tommy Paul, Tiafo, and now has Djokovic. That is a tough draw. A very tough draw. None of those guys are pushovers. So, yeah, I hope that Ben Shelton uh, can maintain this. He hasn't had a match that was more than four sets yet, so he hasn't gone into the deepest of deep waters yet, and he's about to go against the guy who demands that. If they play during the day, he'll have a shot against Djokovic. His serve is going to be popping. It'll be at the 146, mm-hmm. as it was against Tommy Paul. If, if it's at night, it could be a struggle. Yeah, straight sets if it's at night. Yeah, I agree. So now we're going to get to Djokovic. Uh, he reached his 47th semifinal. He just surpassed Federer for that record. He now holds that record. What are your thoughts? Look, it took him less years to do it. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. That's a lot of semifinals. He is collecting all of the Infinity Stones, all of the records. Djokovic is the Thanos or Thanos of the ATP. He is your least favorite superhero and he is your most beloved villain. He's stepping on the neck of your favorite player. (laughs) He also has by far the most wins against top 10 players. Mm. He has 250 wins against top 10 players. Jeez. And Roger Federer is at 224. And players are celebrating just having 250 wins on the tour. He's got that against top 10 players. Yes. Uh, What are your thoughts? Uh, Sheer dominance. You know, this is, I mean, if you're not a Djokovic lover, you're praying someone figures something out and your only hope is Alcaraz. So, yes, exactly. (laughs) I think it's pretty funny. Uh, his, His career has been incredible. What he's doing is incredible. And, I mean, he's just further separating himself from the rest of the world in tennis. So. That is true. Now, I'm going to read you this because this is going to be the showstopper right here. Uh Tony Nadal made some very interesting comments. Hmm, I haven't heard this. Yes. He said Djokovic isn't playing the same as he did five years ago. Hmm. He said that the competition today is weak, that they don't have the mental game and they don't want it enough. No wonder he's winning. The only one that has it is Alcaraz. And then he went 
he went down the list and he said, without a doubt, Nadal surpasses Medvedev. So he's comparing the five to 10 years ago to today. Mm-hmm. Then he said, Prime Murray would beat Zverev easily. Then he said, Stanimal way better than Rude. He Duh. went on. Then he said, Del Potro would beat up Rublev and Ferrer would beat up Runa. No wonder he no wonder he's making it to finals. Wow. And then he went on to say if he's playing this way against that competition, he'd lose. What are your thoughts on that? By Tony Nadal. Tony Nadal says some very, very, very interesting things in that statement. I love I like some of it. those comparisons. I comparisons. Is Ferrer eating up Holgerun? Yeah. He is. You I know, would say so. You know why? Because Ferrer can't be beat with just shots. You've got to literally... Ferrer is a human wall that doesn't give short balls. He doesn't He doesn't have weak spots. There's no holes in the court when you play Ferrer. And Holger really hasn't shown that he's ready for that mental exhausting challenge that it is playing a guy who is the definition of Spanish tennis period. Um, Stan Wawrinka. I think that was just a dumb, dumb comparison. Stan Wawrinka is a God. Um, (laughs) Prime premium. Stan Wawrinka is one of the best tennis players in the history of the sport. Djokovic struggled against him for a while. And that was peak Djokovic. Yes. Peak Djokovic. So yeah, I, I don't want to hear that one. That's not even interesting or a hot take. I think that that specific Stan Wawrinka, he only existed for two to three years, but those two to three years were one of the best players to ever hold a racket. Then, you know... We, Nadal and uh, Medvedev? Nadal and Medvedev. I mean... Yeah. We, we know this. I mean, that's not impressive to say. Nadal is just as scrappy and crafty and great of a mover as Medvedev, but hits twice as big and spinny. So that's not a real comparison. He's right. These guys... He's listing Hall of Fame legends and comparing them to guys who are normal pros. <laughs> so it's like, he's not saying anything crazy with those statements, but you're right. And here's the thing. Pressure makes diamonds, right? If Djokovic doesn't feel the pressure, why would he be in diamond form? I don't think it's fair to say that the way he's playing now would never work back then. It doesn't have to because how can you play your absolute best tennis of your life against guys who don't push you there? You know, I I can't hold that against Djokovic or hold that over Djokovic. I think that Djokovic, when he plays Alcaraz, he brings out that level. And that's the only time he does. So I, I agree with the statement. I love the hostility and violence in his intent. But also... I'm not holding that against Djokovic. I don't think Djokovic has dropped off in level of quality of play. I think Djokovic is doing what it takes to win now. Uh, I will say this. I like it. Uh, you're, I believe what you said is uh, to be correct, mm-hmm. which is he's probably not bringing his best until he plays Alcaraz. Yeah. But that level, uh, he went to five sets with a countryman, Giri, mm-hmm. and he lost the first two sets, and he didn't look so hot. You're right, and uh, when he's playing those guys at that level, mm-hmm. he would have he would have lost. Yeah, so he need, he he needed to play it at a higher level mm-hmm. than what he did then. Yeah, but as as you stated, why does he need to if the competition doesn't warrant him to do so? Yeah, so as you said, I like the hostility, but at the same time, 
it, it's kind of just talk. Yes. You know, um, I will say this. You, you made a great point just now. Why is he going to five sets against this countryman? Why? Um, and then would Alcaraz have gone five sets with him? No. Probably not. No. He would not have. Um, there's definitely a level of comfort from Djokovic in that match that caused that. That he had to look in the mirror and slap himself in the face on a bathroom break to come out and snap out of it. And he admitted to it, which is hilarious to me and was a very funny conversation he had with press. Yes. Another uh, man in the mirror moment. <laughs> Where he's like, you're better than this. Oh, hit himself in the face and comes out and snaps out of it and double breadsticks the guy. And for me, the fact that he came back out and did a double breadstick is proof that the level is there. You know, he still is that guy from back then. But this is my only Tony Nadal reinforcement statement. How often did Nadal, Feder, and Djokovic back then, how often did they drop sets like this to nobodies? They didn't. Yes. Unless there's a free, it was it was breaking news if there was a nail biting match in the first week. You're going what? He went to five sets. This is terrifying. Now we're going. Oh, Djokovic came back and won the last three. So you know the times are really changing. And back in the day, that did not happen. The level's a little confusing for me. That's I'm a little surprised by that because when the big three were all active, they didn't let this happen. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I completely forgot to talk about the trash talking, but people that have been trash talking lately have not backed it up. Mm. So we have Djokovic. He's hungry. I'm hungry. Let's have a feast. He lost to Alcaraz. Mm. This time, uh, Tiafo was trash talking a little little bit against Ben Shelton. Mm -hmm. He said, he's looking good, but I'm making it to the semis. Mm. It doesn't matter. And he was saying, I look better in a cutoff. Shoes. And I look better in a cutoff. And yeah. he lost. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts about people just talking and not backing it up? Tennis trash talk just doesn't ever end well. It just doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not loving the tennis trash talk. It's corny for the most part. He's hungry. I'm hungry. Let's have a feast. Oh, you look good in your shirt, but I look greater. In my, my shoulders shirt. are wider. My shoulders look better. And what are we saying here? You know, where, what happens a really good trash talk? But he did say, I will make it to the semis. Yeah, um, he lied. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I enjoy trash talk. I think the sport needs more of it. I just need it to be a little better. So, let's let's work on that, guys. Okay, that's fair. And now, the lastly, we're going to talk about the retirements. We have three of them. And, and they're American. First, we're going to start with Coco Vanderway. Uh, her mom was a Olympic uh, athlete. Mm-hmm. She was supposed to be the next big thing, but she sort of ended up being similar to Donald Young, mm. to where it was a lot of just hype and nothing. Yeah, she did have a doubles slam with Ash Barty, so she does have a a, a double slam. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you're aware about her, but. She big hitter, big server, big uh, forehand, but yeah. it's a shame that she didn't live up to the expectation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I actually know about Coco Vanderway. I didn't know she retired. Yes. I, didn't, I didn't hear that news. But they, she lost in the first round as well, doubles. That's unfortunate, but yeah, uh, she's not very old. She's like no. 30 years old or something. Something like that, yes. Uh, she's pretty young, so this is pretty surprising. Um, the other retirements made a lot more sense to me. Yes. But, you know... 
it is what it is. You know, she came to the sport, got what she wanted out of it, and she's moving on. Hopefully, she's not going to pickleball because that would be pretty funny. Yes, which is bringing me up to the next one. Uh, the legendary uh, best doubles player of all time conversation. <laughs> uh, if you guys have been listening to the podcast, they were saying that he, when, uh, was it Bob Bryan had the hip? that mm. him and Mike Bryan were the best duo of all time. Better than the <laughs> Bryan brothers. We're talking about Jack Sock. The man. The man. Obviously, in singles, he reached a career high of uh, nine, I believe, in the world. Yeah, eight or nine. Eight or nine. He won the Paris Masters. Mm-hmm. So he did have a nice little singles run. Obviously, he's known for his doubles, multiple uh, doubles uh, titles with Mike Bryan. Yeah, he peaked at number two in doubles. He peaked at number two. Um and as we know, he he did uh, win a pickleball tournament with Anna Leigh Waters. So. Whoa! Yeah, so uh, what are your thoughts on the career of Jack Sock? Um, it's, it's, an, it's an odd career. Um, Jack Sock, to me, is the greatest incomplete men's singles player in American history. Um, I think he had a completely incomplete game. He had a very, very weak wing. And an extremely athletic forehand, freak athletic forehand, and extremely talented athlete, period. I think he was extremely athletic. He has some of the best hands on the tour. Yes, I'll give him that for sure. He had a super snappy, whippy, crazy forehand, and his backhand was a shovel. Um, so, <laughs> um, he was, a he was a very anomaly like player for me. Um, I think that he was really good in his prime, but I also didn't think his style of play was sustainable for a long successful career. Anyway, I think he was definitely good in doubles and he also struggled with his fitness a little bit. He did his, his weight yo-yo dramatically. He had a few injuries here and there and he spent a lot of time off tour after he peaked. Yes. So, you know, for him. He's 30 years old, but unlike Coco Vandeweghe, I think that his 30 feels like a 35. Yes. It feels that way for me. So, um, although it's still an early retirement, I think that he accomplished even more. I think that he proved himself to be an elite athlete, winning with Nikirios in doubles, with Pospisil in doubles, with the Brian Bro in doubles. You know, he had a lot of decorated wins in doubles and a lot of pressure matches and stuff like that. So, I am. Oh, and he played with John Isner. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a huge Jack Sock fan. Yeah, I really for sure, am. For sure. I, I love Jack Sock's game. I thought he was fun to watch. I think it's hilarious that he got so far on the pro tour with no backhand. And that just lets you know that there have been some eras in the last 10 years where guys got pretty far with holes in their games. Oh, for sure. Um, so I always thought that he was an interesting story for sure. Right off to the sunset, enjoy that pickleball. Yeah, he's playing pickleball He's now. playing pickleball professionally, so go ahead and enjoy it. And then the most notable one is going to be John Isner. He also played doubles with Sock. They lost as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, ace leader of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did win in Miami. Masters 1000, he beats Verov in the final. Mm-hmm. Uh, what he's really known for is that 70-68. That will never happen again because because of him, and then he had to play the semifinal uh, again, and he ended up losing ten eight or twelve ten or something like that. Mm-hmm. He was just worn out. Yeah. And ever since then, uh, they made that rule to where you get to so many games, it's now a tie break. Yeah. So that will never be repeated. That seventy sixty eight will never be repeated again. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
he carried uh, American tennis for a long time. He did, absolutely. After Agassi Blake retired, there was really nobody there. Hmm. And now these crop of American players are now there. So he carried it for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the career of John Isner? Um, out of the retirements, this is the biggest one for sure. He played a full career with some. I don't know how his knees lasted this long. You know, <laughs> a guy is six foot nine or something yes. crazy like that, and he's thirty eight years old. Um, he had a collegiate career, right? Yes. Yeah, he had a collegiate career. Came to the pro tour, Georgia. Yeah, and just made noise on the Pro Tour. Has has records that are so nuanced and odd. Weird records. Having Being the ace leader makes great sense. And I don't want to just chalk it up to him being tall. Because just being tall does not make you the ace leader. No. You no. know, he's got a freak serve. And probably the worst return game of anyone ranked in his universe on the tour of all the great players in tennis history, the great ones, he has the worst return rate of all of them and still made absolute noise against the big three at some points. He had wars with Federer. He had wars out there. He's, he's had great matches. Um, he's, he's a great player. He's got incredible touch and volley skills, massive serve, great forehand. The backhand's a bit of a push a little bit. And, I'm I'm a huge John Isner fan, so I'm I'm really happy with the career he had. He did carry American men's tennis after Roddick retired. Um, it was really just him and people coming and going, trying to float in the top ten or float out of it. And he just kind of stayed top twenty consistently the whole time, outside of a few injuries. So yes, that's true. You know, he he ran so that Riley Opelka can walk. Exactly. You know, and as a matter of fact. One of my fondest memories of him is actually the French Open first round with he, Nadal. With Nadal, he mm. was up two sets to one. Yep. Uh, this is probably when, not probably, this is when Nadal owned the French Open. He yep. hadn't lost to Soderling yet, mm-hmm. and he almost beat him. He uh, mm-hmm. Nadal came back and won in five. And this is maybe I believe I, I'm I'm totally guessing here, but it's probably the fourth or fifth match at Roland Garros that Nadal went to five. Mm-hmm. That's how dominant he is at Roland Garros. He's yeah. never gone to five except three to between three and five times. Yeah. And Isner was one of them yeah. in the first round. Crazy. So can you imagine that fall if Isner pulls that one out? Mm-hmm. So that's probably, to me, a very big memory yeah. to me. Do yeah. you have a special memory on Isner besides the 70-68 or that oh, match? I don't even think about that match. I remember, I want to say it was at Laver Cup. He played Federer at Laver Cup, and they had a dogfight. Isner was supposed to go out there and just get smacked around and, and chalk up his loss, and that would go to Team Europe. And he went out there and gave everything. I got to find what year it was, but if you're listening to this go on youtube look up john isner versus roger federer laver cup and that match is crazy i think it was three tiebreakers or something like that it was a really crazy match but yeah that was one of my favorite times watching him play he was digging volleys out of the core of the earth and getting them to drop in front of the net he was hitting complete missile serves and he was going against premium federer premium federer so yeah that's a great match to watch it was it reminded me like, oh man, this guy's a little older, but he looks great. So I'm I think he had an amazing career. I think that he should be proud of everything he's accomplished. And once again, another American who has 
made it this far with holes in his game. Yes, big time. Um, I think we're past that era now. You, yes. you can't, you can't do what these guys have done anymore with holes in your game. It's not possible anymore. So, salute to him. And I think that those two guys retiring is a symbol of the end of an era of tennis. You can no longer be a 20-year vet, a legend. You, you can't do all these things anymore without a complete packaged game. It's just not possible. So, I agree. I agree. And with that, we'll end this episode. Next week, we'll have the champions of the U.S. Open, along with any other news that pops up. So, I hope you guys were entertained. ATP. See you next time.